Ezra Fieldsmeyer. And I'm Marty Harding. And welcome to Animation and Beyond. This week, as promised, we've got a special treat. We've got an interview with Rob, who is our guest on Animation and Beyond this week. Ezra, how do you know Rob? He's a family friend and he lives in the same neighborhood me and my family live. Awesome. Yeah, so Rob has agreed to come on the show and talk about the new show that he worked on that just came out last Friday. I know, Angry Birds Summer Madness. And what's the show about, Ezra? It's based on the global iconic phenomenon video game franchise, Angry Birds, as well as those two animated comedies. And it has younger versions of the birds and pigs who go to a summer camp. And get into all kinds of shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. But first, before our feature presentation and our conversation with Rob, we're going to do a quick technology flashback to some technology that came out a decade ago this week that's related to Rob's show and Angry Birds. Ezra? Oh, just a decade ago around this time is when Angry Birds Space, one of the earliest games in the franchise, was announced just over a month before it came out. So if you recall, the original version of Angry Birds takes place on Earth where you're shooting birds out of a slingshot. Well, Angry Birds Space takes it to a whole new level in outer space where you have to factor gravity into the equation. Yeah, I remember playing it. Yeah, it's a fun twist on a game that already depends on your knowledge of physics and how things move. And many of the other games that came subsequently were ones that went beyond just physics puzzle and went to other genres too and were more than just about shooting birds at pigs with a slingshot. Yeah, and so that would have been when Angry Birds became a franchise because it was, you know, the same characters and the same general idea but applied to new formats of games and that's when the characters were more developed. Yes, and it's a whole lot more today than just a game. Exactly. But it's always fun to look back at those original, you know, second releases, which are always evidence of a game doing well when it first came out. They want to keep that excitement going. They want to keep people engaged. They want to get people invested in the franchise. And so that's why they make new versions of the game. And then more and more and more and more and more until it's the whole franchise like it is today. I know. Ezra, did you think that Angry Birds space was more difficult than original Angry Birds? Yeah, I did, because it was in space and with gravity and all, I thought it was a bit trickier. Got it. So 10 years ago, Angry Birds space was announced, people were super excited, and the hype for Angry Birds continued and built and built and built until now we have the new show, which we're going to talk about with Rob. And I know it's based on the games and the franchise, as well as based on those two films. Yeah, awesome. All right, we'll move into our feature presentation. Rob, thanks for coming on today. We're excited to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And then, Rob, real quick, do you want to give us a quick introduction? So maybe your full name and what you would say your title is. My name is Rob Kuttner, and I am a TV writer. I used to write in Late Night, and now I write for animation. Awesome. And Ezra's got his first question for you. This show is different from other things you've worked on. How did you get involved with Angry Birds Summer Madness? Yes, that's true. It is very different. Um, I have worked on a few other animated shows like Teen Titans Go and Ben 10, 
but it is also very different from the late night world. I got involved the way that most people get involved with these jobs. I had a friend who very successful in the animation world, and I told him that I was really interested in writing the animation. And after I'd gotten a few of these other credits, he said, would you like to write some episodes for this new show that I just got started uh, on Netflix? And I said, of course I would. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's great. Cool. And so how is writing for animation different from your experience writing for non-animated shows like Late Night and stuff? And, and what made you interested in writing for animation? Those are great questions. Uh, the first one is it's very different from Late Night because, as you know, Late Night, usually whatever you write goes on the show on TV that day. Whereas animation, it takes a much longer time to create. Like this is, I, I think I wrote these episodes almost, maybe almost two years ago, a year and a half ago. Wow. And also in late night, you write something and you have to do something short and turn it around really quickly. And in animation, because these are stories, you know, with characters that have been created and they're going to be around for a long time, you have to put a lot of time and effort into getting them exactly right. So we would go over drafts with the story editor, who's sort of my supervisor and the head writer many times until we really got the story that we like. And I forgot what your second question was. Oh, why animation? I like animation just because it's just open to the imagination. I just think like almost anything can happen with a few rules and just really zany things can happen too, which is the mm -hmm. way my mind works. Does it feel like kind of a relief after so many years of having kind of a high pressure deadline to kind of just be open to imagination and have a longer timeline? Um, yeah, I, I like that. Um, I like that it's like this summer camp is kind of like a playground in a way for these beloved characters. And it has all these kind of zany angry birds, things like trampolines and slingshots that are iconic in the game and a lot of physical comedy, like in the old Looney Tunes and, you know, Warner Brothers cartoons that we all love that kind of physical slapstick stuff is you don't really do that with a live host because they'll get hurt. <laughs> but with the characters, even Chuck wears a Band-Aid, but he gets hurt all the time, especially in my episode, but they're always fine in the end. Yeah. Were you involved during any of the animation period after the writing stage? I was not. I was a freelance writer, which most of the writers were. So what we did was um, we all came together. This is really funny. In the second week of March 2020, and we had a meeting where we, did, we came up with a bunch of stories and talked about the world and all that. And as you might imagine, that was the last time we were able to safely meet in person. Huh. This entire show was created during and under pandemic conditions, mostly everybody working remotely, including all the meetings I talked about with my bosses were all over Zoom ever since then. Wow. Hi, see. And so you mentioned that, that you were a freelance writer on this show. So every mm -hmm. episode of the show is actually written by a different person. Rob, how many episodes did you wind up writing in the first season of the show? Technically one and a half, okay. uh, which means that I wrote the second one, Hospital Suite, and then the last one, I share a credit with another writer, and that's because I helped come up with the outline. So I sort of came up with all the story points, and then the scripting was done by another writer. Got it. And so when you're working on a show where many different people are contributing to writing the characters, writing the dialogue, writing the outlines and the story plots, how do you make sure that the characters are consistent between them? Like, do you have someone supervising the characters to make sure they stay, they remain the characters that people are accustomed to? Good question. So first of all, in that, that meeting where we first, messed up, we first met up, 
we were introduced to all the characters and they had this thing that they call a Bible in TV, which is not the Bible that, that Ezra's and my family might be familiar with from our religion. Or the Christian Bible or the Torah. Exactly. It's not quite as sacred as the Torah, but to the, com the company it is because it's the sort of authoritative word on describing in detail what these characters like, what they look like, how they relate to each other. And we use that as a reference guide. We always go back to that. And then on top of that, um, when I would go through it with the, the story editor and the head writer, they've really got it in their mind, I think really deeply. And they they're thinking about all the episodes. So not only what you said about consistent, but what if you have the same character doing the same thing in two different stories, you don't wanna have repetition. They, they keep the big picture sort of in their brain and they guide me along that path, I guess was the, was the answer. Got it. How do you decide what kind of humor is acceptable for the age group and limit you're trying to appeal and what is not. Like in the second episode when Chuck is deliberately injuring himself only to get candy. That's a good question. I think that ours is what the, is in this, the, the age range of six to 10, six to 11 is what they call it. Um, I know that my nine-year-old son was enjoyed it. So it was good for him. I think that there's a certain uh, permission or flexibility in, in cartoons that a lot of injuries and that sort of stuff can happen as long as we know that the character is going to be okay in the end. And indeed, it seems like, first of all, Chuck is letting himself be injured. You know, no one's doing it to him, which would be a whole different kind of violence that we wouldn't feel good about. And so when kids see that someone's doing that themselves and, and he learns in the end not to do it, and it, it wasn't a good idea that he could have friends without doing that. I think in the end, we move away from something like that in terms of our message. Ah, oh, I see. And so when you're developing a character like Chuck, or when you're working on a character like Chuck, are you thinking about, what are you thinking about in terms of, is it supposed to be a real bird? Is it supposed to be a real person? <laughs> is it supposed to just achieve a certain goal for the story? I think there's two things. I think in terms of a story, what you want is something that, that kind of challenges that character's main quality or maybe even their main flaw. So, you know, for Chuck, it's the fact that he's kind of clumsy and has crazy energy. Mm -hmm but also just wants to be, wants to be loved, wants to be popular. And so we're using his, his main characteristic to challenge what does it mean to be friends? So he's kind of hurting himself to make friends, which is not a good idea. And then the Stella character, you may remember their, their friend is very competitive and tough. And there's an episode in this season and also one that I worked on in another season. And I think in season two that you'll see where we question that too, where she sort of has to face the limits of what her competition is doing for her. It's not a good idea. She has to sort of think about other things in her life. And then the other part of the question is, I think that each character has kind of a comic comedic energy that is, is where the fun comes in. So Chuck's is his physical high energy level. Red's is that he's, he really cares passionately about everything. And sometimes he cares too much. And then, you know, of course, um, Stella's that she wants to sort of do the hardest thing possible. And then Bomb is just sort of kind of big and silly and very, very sensitive and emotional. So all of those give a different kind of color or flavor to the comedy, which I think is where the jokes come from. Uh. Yeah. And so how does it feel different for you to work on an animated show for families versus, you know, like you mentioned in the earlier question, the timeline of late night, but then also just that audience? That's a good question. I think, um, well, yeah, obviously the late night shows are aimed at adults. And so, you know, the humor will have more of adult quality. It also would be sort of about things that are more from the news or from pop culture and probably a little bit more um, 
I wouldn't say darker, but maybe a little tougher edges. Like we might just be more sort of cynical and critical of things. And I think with the, you know, with kids programming, we're trying to sort of be positive. So even though we're sort of, like I said, challenging these characters, we're doing it in a sort of positive, loving and really kind of goofy, fun, loving way. And I find that really enjoyable because I think it's like, you know, our world is so tough right now that it's really nice to sort of live in a world of loving characters who are having fun in a way and making each other better. Like, I think that's something that everybody could, you know, learn from. Absolutely. And the characters in the show, like you mentioned, have, they definitely do teach morals and lessons at the end of every episode. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite character in the show and why? Wow, I never even thought about that. I actually think, uh, I actually think Stella is in a way because I think she may not be the funniest character, but what is interesting to me is that she tries so hard and she is so confident about everything that she sometimes sets herself up for the biggest disappointment in a way, if that makes sense. Like she, mm -hmm. she has the highest stakes. She takes, she makes, she takes the biggest, boldest actions and then also has sort of the biggest uh, backfire of those things. And I find that interesting for a story. I like Stella too. She's very spunky and kind of keeps some of the other characters in line, but then can't keep herself in line sometimes. Yeah. I like her too. She's kind of feisty. Yeah, exactly. Feisty is a great word. Do you have any idea if there will any, be any new episodes or seasons in the future? Yeah. So as I understand it, um, what you're seeing now that's on Netflix is season one, and that's half of what we made. So there's going to be a season two, and I don't know when it's going to happen. And I have another episode coming out in that. But I imagine that Netflix wants to see how this one performs. And um, it's doing pretty well so far. It's in the top 10 on um, kids shows uh, in the US and other countries. And so um, I think that if it continues to do well, then they'll be happy to release the next one. And hopefully they'll order another season and then I can get more work. That's great. Did you know that Angry Birds was created in Finland? I did. I did. I think that's very cool. Made by a developer for video games called Rovio. Yes. And you probably know that they made a series of digital shorts that were online, aside from the movies, right? Like they did for Angry Birds tunes and some they even did about the pigs and things like that. Right. So the company that made it is a company that's also that's based in England called Cake. It sounds like a delicious company. <laughs> it sounds mouthwatering. Yeah. It does. And so um, so Netflix uh, hired Cake to, to turn it into, this is the first TV, full-length TV series where it continues on the stories. And so they hired them and they are the ones who hired me. Huh, that's great. And did you like working with that company? I did. They were very cool very creative guys. Everybody's very much in touch with their childhood in a good way, which is good for this thing. Like we could all speak the same language. And what happened was whenever we write something, I think this answers your earlier question is it had to get approved by Cake and Netflix and also Rovio, the video game company had to approve it because they created these characters and they wanted to make sure everything had the same feeling and the same you know, ideas they had of their characters as well. I'm curious, Rob, do you ever actually consult kids on the subject matter that you're writing? Well, I, I live with two of them. <laughs> <laughs> that happened to me and my, my children. And so I'd like to think that I have a focus group of, around me all the time. And, they, and they'll tell you, yeah, that ideal will work or no and shoot it down. Right. Or else maybe I've just absorbed enough of their, the stuff that they like that I can do it myself. <laughs> did, your, did your son and daughter ever come see you when you were working on that show? 
Well, yes, because I was mostly working in my bedroom or the living room. Because <laughs> it was during the pandemic when you worked on it. Yes, I never, the only, the only time I, I went somewhere else was for that first meeting in, in March of 2020. And then it's always been at home in my pajamas. And so, so uh, in fact, sometimes they visited me too much and I said, go away, daddy's working. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you, were you ever able to go to work in person again? No, I mean, you know, if, if they do get a new season, then maybe we will meet up. But also, you know, maybe of interest to your audience is that this is the way that animation is going anyway, uh, even without the pandemic. A lot of uh, network sitcoms and series are done in writer's rooms with groups that come in and to, to work together all day. But in animation, what's more common is that there's a meeting at first and then people go off and write the episodes by themselves with some guidance. And there isn't really a writer's room that meets. And so this, this is kind of like what the future already is. Uh, that's what I expect. I don't know if I'll be going and meeting with people again. Got it. Is, I would imagine the collaboration part um, that you describe in the first meeting is pretty important, though, that initial kind of check-in. It is. And a lot of good ideas come out of it just from listening to each other and all that. And then also, you know, the collaboration happens just not in person. So there's, I write the episode and then it goes through rewrites from other people. There's a person who does what's called punch up, which is basically adding more jokes and humor to the script. So someone does that with my scripts, um, the head writer and the story editor add their own rewrites. So there is like collective writing. It's just not done in the same place by the same people. It just happens, you know, over computers in different places. Another question about the show, in like I know in the U.S. and and other places, it's on Netflix. Is it on other networks or services in certain territories? I think Netflix owns it and and bought it, and and for that reason, they keep it there. But you know, of course, Netflix is available in so many countries now. Would it be dubbed for other countries? Well, yes, I hope so, um, so they can understand it. Uh, I would be fascinated to see how they do different voices for the characters and how they translate. In some places, I think even other places that speak English but have different accents, they might do that. For example, if you know the show Shimmer and Shine on Nickelodeon, which is a, a children's show, um, we saw a version of it, I think, on YouTube where it was done for an Australian audience. So it was the same characters, the same language, but an Australian accent. That's one of the Nick Jr. shows, one of Nickelodeon shows geared toward the preschool audience. Exactly. But you would think maybe it could just be in English. But remember, you know, the American accent is not the way most of the world speaks English. So dubbed in a different, in same language, different dialect, and also in different languages too. I'm sure Netflix does that because they're so international now. Yeah. And I wonder if there's other things that they have to change. Like Ezra and I were talking about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves the last couple episodes. And that's a movie where, you know, the scene where they show the be the beds of all of the dwarves, they actually had to go in, in the international versions, change the names on the beds to be the other languages. Oh, interesting. And same idea, like certain movies I know, like the second Toy Story, uh, the second Cars movie, Monsters University, Wreck-It Ralph, Inside Out and Planes, as well as Zootopia, all have foreign international versions of them where where a character or object takes the place of something or someone. Exactly. That's really interesting. I also wonder, it's always interesting to me to wonder like if the same cultural ideas translate. You know, if this idea of a summer camp is something that's particularly uh, American, where everyone just wants to have fun as an American idea versus other countries might think of a camp differently too. And some shows and films have different names in other territories. For instance, Zootopia internationally is called Zootropolis. Oh, interesting. Oh, I didn't know that, Ezra. Or, or Clue in the UK is called Cluedo. 
or in the UK, Where's Waldo is called Where's Wally. Oh, that's funny. I, I did, didn't know that. Or in some parts of the world, the Hokey Pokey is called the Hokey Cokey. Oh, really? I didn't even know that was international. But that's, that's... No, the dance you're, you mean, Ezra? Yes. You do the Hokey Pokey and you turn yourself around. <laughs> well, I tell you, you know, if Waldo keeps changing his name, it'll be even harder to find him. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. It's true. All right. Well, Ezra, do you have any other questions for Rob about the show? Were the characters in the show, like, for instance, Red and Chuck, their actors in the show intended to sound like Jason Sudeikis or Josh Gad? You mean from the from the movie version? Yeah. I think they were. Um, I, but I also think that they understand that the kid, the kid audiences might not really sort of be that attentive and care as, quite as much. So I think there's an effort to make be similar, but not like in a direct copy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I know, of course, he has the same, Chuck has the same voice as Olaf from Frozen. Right, of course. You, of course, you know that. <laughs> but you're not yeah. a kid. You're not a kid and you're also an expert. I'm a kid at heart because I'm young at heart. You are a kid at heart, but you're an animation expert. So that's your, your job is to know things like that too. Mm-hmm. And I like to say I'm a kid and an adult at the same time because I'm young at heart. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Me three. And, and Ezra, I, I assume that you pay attention to the casting announcements of things even before they come out, right? Yes, like not just for movies and shows, video games, technology, places, events, all kinds of things in general I read about before right. they get announced. Ezra is the most informed person I know. For sure. Hands down. Speaking of being informed, thank you, Rob, so much for sharing your knowledge with us. This has been really, really interesting. Thank you. This has been a really interesting talk. Thank you for coming on Animation Beyond, Rob, and showing up as a guest. I've been a longtime fan, and so it's exciting for me to actually be part of the magic. Aw. Well, we'd we love to meet a fan. And um, true to the fans, Ezra, we do have to say this week's trivia question. Do you remember what it is? Yes. What kind of bird is red supposed to be? Rob, you might know the answer to that one, but don't say it. I'll never, I'll never tell. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Because we're going to answer it next week on the next episode of Animation and Beyond. Yeah. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Animation and Beyond. Bye. Bye.